12, page 2, the first paragraph, and I'll read that. Like compulsive overeaters, normal eaters will sometimes find pleasure and escape from life's problems in excess food. Compulsive overeaters, however, often have an abnormal reaction when we overindulge. We can't quit. A normal eater gets full and loses interest in food. We compulsive overeaters crave more. Some of us even have a strange reaction to particular foods, while others can comfortably eat single portions of these foods. We feel, we, uh, we feel compelled to eat another serving after we finish the first, and then another, and another. Not all compulsive overeaters can identify particular foods which give us this trouble, but many of us can. What all of us have in common is that our bodies and minds seem to send us signals about foods which about food which are quite different from those the normal eater receives. We have found through much experience that no matter how long we abstain from eating compulsively and no matter how adapt we become at facing life's problems, we will always have these abnormal tendencies. Those of us who have returned to our former compulsive eating behaviors, even after years in recovery, have found it harder than ever to stop. Okay, that's from this book. Okay, I am now uh, going to share for the next 25 minutes, and I'm being timed, and I hope to uh, cover my topic. Like I said, my name is Lonnie, and I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. And I'm really, I've, I've rushed back and forth twice now this morning uh, from my room, so I feel like, <laughs> and it's uh, kind of nervous being up here. Our topic, the disease, no respect of status, race, or anything else. I absolutely love coming to Overeaters Anonymous events. Be it just a meeting, that's an event for me, that's my event of Thursday, an event of any other day I go to. Be it a, a marathon, a, a larger workshop, a smaller workshop, a convention, a birthday party. And one of the things that I identified with really early in my program was, A, I already knew that I was unique. I can cut myself out from this tiny group in here to the entire convention, to the entire city of Ontario, and on and on and on. Racially, my background is I'm black, white, Japanese, and Hawaiian. I am an even quarter split. See how quickly that happens? I could be in Times Square, and I can cut myself out. It's just a little mental thing that I always could do. Never thought about it. Never talked about it. Didn't seem I was unique. I'm unique. Uh, the way I grew up. Um, uh, an unfortunate uniqueness. I am recovering from that and, and take ownership for all of my own actions, behaviors, thoughts, and whatever. Um, I'm not a victim and I don't go around blaming somebody, you know, oh, well, with me, they did this to me and that's why I'm... No. But anyway, there is that, there is a uniqueness thread. And so I started out by saying how much I love coming to Overeaters Anonymous events because one of the things I, I got a few things early on, quickly. And I'm not sure how or why I got them, but one of the things was the commonality. The commonality for me, there is a common thread here. I can look at my neighbors, I can look at my neighbors. The common thread here is that we have a disease, however it manifests itself in our own particular life. We could um, be bulimic. I know nothing about this. I, I, I'm still wearing what I ate oh, probably back in 1967. Um, it, we could be anorexic, starving ourselves, or complete 100-pounder compulsive overeaters and have known the weight burden of, of two, three, four extra 100 pounds, God save us. Um, but the uniqueness is that we have 
a disease. The commonality is that runs within all of us, no matter what it is. It crosses all of our lines. And one of the things that, that I read, and please forgive me for with the fanning, but I'm perspiring, something fierce. It says, what all of us have in common is that our bodies and minds seem to send us signals about food. That's our com that's one part of the commonality. And I also like to pull from the big book that says our commonality, I'm not quoting directly, but our commonality is that we have an insatiable crave. Whereas a normal eater, that, and I have friends that do that, it takes them a week to eat a candy bar, a Hershey bar, and then when, and when the week is up, if they haven't eaten it, they throw the rest away. I absolutely want to smack them down every time I see them do that. I cannot conceive anything like that. But that's how they are. That's not how I'm wired. So that thing that we all have in common that I think I drew so hard from the, from the first meetings that I came to when I was just beginning to listen, to open up my, my mind and my ears and my heart to be able to, to listen, was that we have that allergy. We have that insatiable crave. It's different from a taste for it. I get a taste for it and don't get in the way of me and it when it happens. A thing will go off in my head and this will happen to me occasionally. It will go carrot juice, you know, carrot juice. And I'll, and I'll say, yeah, I think I'd like to have some carrot juice. In fact, there's one carrot juice. And I'll get it, drink it, and maybe six months from now it might happen again. That's, that, that's a taste for it to me. I've, I have a preference maybe tonight for dinner. That's a taste for it. We were given choices. The insatiable crave, no matter what happens, can't be satisfied. And my experience only in this program is it affects us all, no matter what our backgrounds, no matter whether our parents came from Europe or Central America or Africa or born right here in the United States, homegrown or whatever, that insatiable crave binds us. And it is the weakness in that, I believe, that, it, that provides us the strength that we draw from this program. In our society, open any newspaper this morning, and you will see where you've got, you know, the Hispanic community speaks and says this, da, 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 da. the African-American community speaks and says this, da, 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 da. the American people speak and say this, the Indonesian speak, people speak and say this. And, and we, I believe, as a society, have a, have a need to draw to people that are like our families or that we are, um, you know, we feel aligned to. And some, most of the time I'm going to say that's a very strong, good thing. And sometimes maybe it's not necessarily such a strong, good thing because we can get preconceived ideas. And then when, those, when we finally allow those ideas to be shattered, we look around and we go, oh, my goodness. It's not what I don't have in common. It's what I do have in common. And I love Overeaters Anonymous because we cut through all of that. And what we have in common is that when we come together, the weakness that brings us together binds us in strength, if that makes any sense. It's the same principle to me is if your feet are swelling up, you need to drink more water. When our brain says, oh, no, you better tighten up and not drink all that water because, you know, your feet will keep on. No, no, no. It's exactly the opposite. What you really need to do is drink the water and, oh, my goodness, and then the bad water is let go and you look down and they're back to normal again. Well, it's that same kind of thing in OA. The very thing that separates us once we pull together the, the strength that we get from each other allows us to raise our heads and see the hope that is out there because others have done what we want to do. Others have a mind that doesn't spin anymore. 
others can have their portion and put it down whatever they've designated their day's portion to be. And, and so that makes us strong. I wanted to also speak on this topic because part of the topic said, no respect for status. Well, I don't have much of that. I was born and raised in, in I was born in Los Angeles, raised in Watson, the projects. And so status is not part of my story. Terminal uniqueness is a huge part of my story, but nothing to do with status. Race, I've already told you what I am racially. Um, I cannot in, I cannot in any certainty try to sit down and tell you why my disease affects me differently, I'm doing quote unquote for the CD here, differently because I'm brown and Hannah isn't. I can't tell you that. That makes no sense to me. And if somebody approaches me from that perspective, what they will begin to tell me, and here's my clue, that these people still need to stay, find a, a sponsor, get the big book, work the program, because they'll start with words like, but you don't understand, my case is different. I had a, a food sponsor who is now today a, a longtime dear friend in this program, incredible recovery, great speaker. He lives out in the valley. And quite a few years ago, I, in a state of desperation, I called him, and my friends went, I can't believe you're calling him. He's so incredibly awful. And I went, I'm going to call him because he's also maintaining a normal weight and working a really strong program, and I respect him, but I know he's kind of nuts. Well, that defines most everybody I ever met in the program. So, um, so I did. And one of the first things he said to me, he said, Lonnie, we're going to talk every single day. And I called him every single day for like three and a half years. And he said, I never want you to tell me, but you don't understand. My case is different. And I think so many of us come encumbered with the baggage that says, but you really don't understand. My case is different. And when we cut to the chase, and we get past our various backgrounds. We were born in different states. We were raised in different communities. We come from different economical situations. Some of us, you know, come from really um, abundant economical situations. Some of us come from zero economical situations. Um, it is not, that has nothing to do with what binds us. What binds us is the strength that we get together to fight the disease that wants to separate us. Oh, my God, I want to say that again. Because what binds us is the strength that we get together to, to deal with a disease on a daily basis. And the disease wants, us, wants to separate us. One, it wants us to believe that we don't have a disease. We have a little willpower problem. We can just push ourselves away and everything would just be fine. And we know better and can't always define it to those outside of our rooms. But those inside of the rooms, you can come in and start a sentence anywhere and nobody will ask you for the last eight years of your history so we can understand what you're talking about. We get what you're talking about. The disease has no respect for status, race, or anything else. A, the disease has no respect. B, the disease is incredibly powerful. So I have respect. I have incredible respect for my disease because it is stronger than I am. If I was stronger than my disease, I would not be here today. Believe me, I would never have come to the rooms 20, uh, more than 23 years ago. I would not have, given, have abstained from sugar one day at a time for more than 23 years. Um, this is, this is my, my alcohol for me. Uh, the disease has, has that kind of power. I never really even heard it. This, 
completely described well until I read the big book probably for the third or the fourth time when I stopped reading for the plot and learned how to read for the information, which is line by line, because I'm a plot reader. And it is, it, it, so it, the disease has no respect, no. The disease is the enemy. The disease wants to kill us. My disease wants me to believe that I don't have a disease. I can go out and have a little of anything because, after all, I have knowledge. I have information. I know how to cut one two-inch piece of cake. I don't know how to eat that, but I know how to cut it. Okay? So the disease has no respect for race. I, when, I, when I am encountered with people from whatever their background, be it Eastern European or, 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 or Central American or African American or whatever, and, and they start out with that, but you don't understand my case is different. I, and, and I always tell them, please come back. Please come and see me next week. Call me during the week. I will we'll make sure you have a seat. I'll save a seat up till the start of the meeting. Because then I don't save seats after the start of the meeting. I don't care who it is. And, um, and just please come back. And what I don't tell them, because I don't want to frighten them, is you will get over this. You will, I, I, have, I have been to some strange Overeaters Anonymous meetings. Really strange. And... I have never been to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting where I did not identify with the people in the room, where I was not welcomed by the people in the room, and where I was not happy to be in the presence of my fellows, no matter what the situation, be it, be it um, status, race, age, or anything else. You know, it is the one place that I know when I go, I am welcomed whether I know people there or not. And today, pretty much, I kind of hard to go somewhere where I don't know somebody, but it's all right because I do know you and you will, and you know me. And it is the disease that pulled us to, together to be able to admit I'm powerless. If I had power over this thing, man, you know, I would like, I would, I'd be eating the cake is what I'd be doing. And the truth is, I want to eat like a person who is who has all power, I don't want to pay the price ever for anything, and yet I have to grow up and growing up in this program. I need you to do that. Um, I learned how to find a power greater than myself. I use the word God, and I learned how to find God in this program. I learned some incredibly fabulously beautiful secrets that I've always had God. God always had me. I turned away. I did not know truth. I did not know. I learned. So I can, I can no longer claim innocence. It's one of the things that helps me to hang on to my abstinence is because when I got here, I was, I was truly innocent. I truly was. I don't have that innocence anymore. Today, it would take a lot more food, sugar, and substance to even begin to numb me like I used to could be numb. And I didn't think I could consume any more than I used to consume at 340 pounds. But it would take a lot more today to do that. That is the power of the disease. People will say the disease is in the background doing push-ups. It really does. I, I kind of, I, I made a picture of my disease many years ago. I sent it to Lifeline. They didn't publish it. I wrote about it because I had a huge resentment, but that's okay. That was a long time ago. I could always rewrite it and make it much better. But I pictured my disease as a dragon curled up very, very tiny and lives inside. Very, very tiny. And in abstinence, I, I almost basically never even know that it's there. But every once in a while, it will blink. It's not, it's not a pretty thing. But it will blink, and it will start to wake up, and it will stir, and it will yawn. And it's right about that time that my head goes, oh, my goodness, the food is calling. The food is calling. And, and, and as it stretches and it wakes up and it begins to animate, 
and it kind of growls, and at this point, the food is really calling because now I'm in the insatiable crave. I want it, I want it, I want it, and that's all my brain can think about. I want it, I want it, I want it. And as it wakes itself up and stretches out to almost full length, somehow inside, only because I have maintained a, a life here with you, only, only because of that and because I know to pray when that happens, I can't stop it. I also know that I can't eat anything that will stop it. Nothing stops it, nothing at all, except abstaining not feeding it, and eventually it tires of itself because it didn't get fed. The screaming stops. In the meantime, I've been writing, calling, praying, walking, going to meetings, reading, anything, any and all of the above, all over again. And eventually it gets bored with itself, and it curls itself back up again, and it shuts its eyes down and tucks its head and goes to sleep. And in the head I go, Oh, thank you, God, it passed. Oh, I don't want, it has left me weak. It has left me as if my blood sugar had caved. It's left me that weak. And I always thought that's how, that's how I pictured my disease. Always with me. However, I also had to learn how to picture, how to picture my God. And if I plan to combat that disease, I cannot have a teeny tiny God. I need a huge God. I need a God that can check that in a heartbeat, and I've tested it, and I'll be doggone, but it worked. The insatiable crave hit. It was the bagel thing. Oh, my God, I've got to have them right now. I was working at a bagel factory, so I'm surrounded by the smell. I've got to have it. I can't stop thinking about it. can't stop thinking about it. It's a big clue for me. I'm driving down the freeway, and I just start to pray, please, God, take this away from me. This is the stuff of which I can't confront. I can't win. I am powerless over this. I don't. I can't. And instantly it was gone. And it scared me. It left so fast, it scared me. So I thought about the food all over again to make sure it was really gone. True story. And it was really gone. And I went, oh, be darned, it was really gone. If I allow the disease, if I allow that disease to separate me from you, from any of you, if I allow that disease to separate me for any reason, be it status, be it race, be it, be it weight, be it age, any reason at all, the disease totally wins. The way the disease wins, you know, we've seen all the, the cute movies about Babe and the working dog, which I happen to think Border Collies are like the best dog because they're working dogs. But you watch them, they'll cut out the herd. If you've ever seen them around kids, they'll do the same thing. They'll, you know, they're working dogs. That's what they do. They nip at your heels and they move you out of the way. Well, if I allow the disease to cut me out of, remove me from my fellows that I need so badly, I just might as well put the loaded gun to my head and pull the trigger. And the only thing that keeps me, that sustains me, is to not let the disease get into my head and tell me that, well, my status is different from yours because my color is different from yours. And so my status must be different. You guys still have the same racial background with me. And I know nobody here grew up and watched in the projects, in the Nickerson Garden Project, like I did. So I'm really not like you. So I'm going to let you go over here and listen to the goodness, the grace and the goodness that this program gives us, the joy, the energy back into our lives to be the good people that we are. But I'm going to go sit over here because, you know, my case is different. 
because the disease is telling me that my case is different. There are no lines and borders for our recovery. If we have lines and borders, if we have a demilitarized zone somewhere, it's in our heads, and that's the disease talking. That's, that's, this is my opinion only, but it is the disease talking. When a voice ever, and I don't think I can even remember, but if a voice should say to me, well, you know, Lonnie, you can't go out there and be in the desert because, you know, you're not one of the desert people. And, you know, they, you know, they live out in the desert, and you live over here in southwest Los Angeles. How exclusive is that? And if I, if I ever hear a voice like that, immediately I, I do know to do some things because I have been given the blueprint for a life. And the blueprint says, you best better get on the phone and call somebody and tell them you've gone nuts. You better call your sponsor, and she is really going to confirm that you've gone crazy. And maybe one of the, one of the antidotes for your insanity might be that you should go to a meeting. And I, and I remember sitting in a meeting, in, in a 100-pounder meeting, which was really, not only was it a full meeting, but, you know, we filled up the chairs righteously. So I was very close to my fellows and, and looking around and wondering, when did everybody in this meeting get so good looking? You know, we're not exactly the most beautiful lot in here, but when did everybody get, get so incredibly good looking? When did I feel so close to people that I just barely knew by three-minute pitches? And I also realized that that was also right about the same time that I no longer had the spin of the head, that I was actually able to sit quiet by myself. Go, I'm a real movie fan. Go to the movies and watch the movie. Now, there's a concept for you. It wasn't go to the movie. I can't even tell you what the concession stand cost anymore stuff because I haven't bought it 20, 23 years. Nor did I, nor do I bring it in to eat it in the dark. So, you know, and I would think, and, and, and as I shared these kinds of thoughts, and I got the smiles from the long timers because I was not a long timer, and I realized that it, this was the recovery speaking. This was the, the healthy, the, the diseased tissue being given the anecdote, being given the antibiotic, coming back to life to become whatever it, I am to become. I'm still becoming. So to become whatever I am to become. But this is not allowing the disease to cut me out of the herd to reaffirm my uniqueness based on anything. It says here, no respect of status, race, or anything else. So do not let the disease infect me with, um, with, with separating myself from you for any reason whatsoever. And lastly, and I think I want to say this, and this is strictly Lonnie's opinion, people, so if anybody later listening to the CD, please remember I'm saying it this way. Thank you. Um, In my lifetime, in my adult lifetime, my working career, I've been often asked to join groups. Um, at, I, I worked in aerospace for a long time, and early on it was a women's group because, I mean, women, we won't talk about the status. It would require, you know, another 45 minutes. But I, was all, I'm all, I would be often asked to join groups. And as is our American culture, it would be, Lonnie, would you like to be a member of the Black Professional Women's Association? Well, first it was the Women's Association. Yes, I was a member of that, yes. And, and, and we had to meet off-site because it was afraid that we might unionize. And so, and, and so we worked through this. And this was over a long progression of time. And by the way, I'm just eating my way into 340-pound oblivion. 
Okay. I look about as professionals as titmouse. Okay. And but I would be I would be asked to join the Black uh, Women's Association or the something something. And I remember saying to people, please do not make an invitation to me if it has to begin with the color. And the only way that you can invite me to be a member of your group is that I have to identify by color. Years later, I was to say, I'd rather join the Fat People's Organization, where all I have to be is fat. By the way, the, the largest discriminating group of people in America, or maybe even the world, but I would rather join the Fat People's Organization, because I clearly am fat. And I, at that point, was tipping 300 pounds, and none of them were. And it was in, interesting because of my racial background. I thought, gee, I wonder how come that was the only group that invited me. And I understand I'm not going to join. But now I'm thinking, well, well, I got three other groups that could have issued the invitation for that matter. And, you know, that just happened to be the group that, that, they, that invited me. And more than once. And I would get literature, please come and attend. But it would always start with a color. I can't do, what is it that says? The disease, doesn't say the recovery has no respect for status, race, or anything else. Since the disease has no respect for status, race, or anything else. Little did I know way back then, little did I really know that it, that it is the disease that wants to separate us, period. We are here at Overeaters Anonymous, I believe, a society also, and I think we are the best of the best. I think that people who are dedicated, who have dedicated themselves to working the 12-step program are basically attempting to take a look or I'm going to say, I'm attempting to take a look at my part and how can I be a better person this day? How can I be of loving service to somebody this day? It might just be to smile at somebody that's in a wheelchair. Not to pity or anything else, but it, might, it just might be to back out and keep my mouth shut when I need to keep it shut instead of having that answer that I know better. Thank you. That's the one-minute mark. So... I guess in, in, in wrap-up, I want to say that I'm grateful for being a member here. I'm so grateful being, for being asked to speak here and for choosing to come to this weekend to be with my fellows. I'm going to go and listen to all the other brilliant people who are presenting and speaking today. But first off, I'm going to listen to Hannah, whom I love. I have a, one defining sentence for Hannah. I told her this morning, and every time almost I hear her name, I go, that's Hannah, Queen of the Desert. And I always think of her as Hannah, Queen of the Desert. And she, she is just a delight. So, um, I'm now going to, I guess this format is reading two speakers. Our next speaker is Hannah, and she is going to also talk on the same topic. Thank you so much. Good morning. My name is Hannah, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And some of you here worked on the committee in 2003 in Palm Springs. That's why I got the name, because Lonnie was one of the people, too, and it stuck. And she just, and I think it's wonderful. Nobody would have ever called me that before when I was at my top weight of 200 pounds. And our topic, disease, no respect of status, race, or anything else, I think that's so fitting, because even though I belong, quote-unquote, to the Caucasian race, but that did not make any difference. I always felt different from anyone, whether you were the same color or uh, the same background, and I always identified with all the differences, never the similarities, and I learned in this program, hey, we are all alike. And when I came to this program, it took me a long time, I call my first years in program my apprenticeship because I was still judging, I was still, you know, taking your inventory and doing all these wonderful things until I found out that, yes, I'm exactly the same as you are. 
I am an egomaniac with an inferiority complex, and when I realized that, then I had a chance to work on it. And when people came in uh, in those days, we didn't have specialty groups. We had Overeaters Anonymous. We didn't have any of the splinter groups that we have now of specialty interest, like Lonnie was talking about, you know, being asked to join any kind of, you know, whether it's political or business association. Everybody came into the same room. And I remember that once I got the hang of it, that I wasn't different, I didn't see what anybody looked like. I just saw that they were a member of Obedis Anonymous, and it was a delight to see them come in and change. And I'm so grateful that I stuck it out long enough that I changed because I was so unique and different that I could never identify with anything. And I tell you, the first time I came to an OA meeting was two years before I really came to OA. And I was always asked, because my husband had many years in his program, you know, why don't you come to Overeaters Anonymous? Because I would ask anybody who lost weight, how did you do it? And that's how I went on all these weird diets, and that's also how I eventually ended up in OA. Thank God for that. And I would say, uh, okay, I'll do it. I found someone who weighed about 100 pounds more than me, so you would know that at 200 pounds I didn't need this program, and off we went. And identifying with the difference is being unique. The person who spoke was a man, and of course I had nothing in common with men. I was married, but I had nothing in common with men, and he showed us his genes, which were this big, and he'd lost over 100 pounds. And I listened to him, and I thought, well, you know, that's not me. I never wore jeans because, uh, uh, you know, of course I would look fat. I only wore mumus, so I could definitely not identify with him. And I was always looking for the differences. And in this program, it taught me to look for the similarities. Like uh, I said, Lonnie worked with us in Palm Springs. And when I see somebody come in, I first see the person. And I don't realize even what color they are. I listen to them, and I identify with their program. I take what I like, and I leave the best. And that's not my like me. It's very much unlike me, because I always looked for something that was different than you. and. That hadn't happened to me, so I was either better than you or not as good as. And um, I can identify with Lonnie growing up, uh, you know, in, in Watts, in that area, in Compton, Watts. Now, I didn't, but I grew up in Europe. So for the longest time, I felt out of place, too, when I left there because I didn't really belong. You know, I had to learn the language, so, of course, there was a difference. And I had, try, had to try so much harder. It was ingrained in me when I was a child that... You know, you're not very bright, so you can't go to a university. College may be good enough. So I think for a lot of us, I don't know about you, it was instilled in us that we were not as good as. Today I know that they always try to, by telling me that, they were trying to make me strive for something better. But it had the opposite effect. A compulsive person, you know, we feel lower than low anyway, and you step on me and I disappear below the ground. And this program has taught me that I can be equal. I'm not better than you, but I'm also as good as. And I didn't know that. It started with childhood. I felt so different because I was fat, maybe not even that fat, but I always felt different and I always felt I didn't belong. I remember when I was six years old, I wanted to leave the country, which is not very likely because you can't do that. As a, stu you know, as a student, I tried to become an exchange student. My mother wouldn't let me. When I was 19 years old, I finally made it. I said, okay, now I'm old enough. I finished my school. I can leave. And I was told, we're not paying your way out of the country. So I had to work for a year with this idea because I always knew it was different where I would go and the people would be better because they weren't any good where I was. And I worked my way halfway around the world this way because I started out in Germany. 
And then I went to Canada, and the people weren't any better over there either because, you know, they were either better than or not as good as, and they wouldn't change. I mean, I didn't know that at the time, that other people don't change. They're individuals, and I cannot change them. All this wonderful stuff I learned in program. And it's so simple, really, but it seemed impossible for me to realize because I didn't know. So they didn't do it my way. So I worked my way down to California with my husband, and lo and behold, the people weren't any better either. And, you know, I don't know if any of you have ever seen that movie um, about the sheriff. I'm on my way to Australia. Well, he and I, he practiced his disease. I practiced mine. And we knew that in Australia it was going to be a lot better. Thank God he found his program first. And it was very difficult for me the time when he found his program and I didn't have one because I was going through all this rigmarole, trying to fit in and trying to do all these diets which never worked. Willpower, oh my God, what I never had was willpower. I mean, I had willpower to try and direct everybody's life. I had willpower. I tried to excel at the things that I knew well and forget about the things that I didn't know. Like, for instance, in, in school, I hated math. I did not pay any attention to it. I barely passed it. Now, some of the things that I was good at, I excelled at because I could show you I was better than you. And would you believe I ended up as a tax accountant? So this program does, you know, mysterious things to you because after I found my program, I went back to school and um, I got a career. I actually did. I was perfectly satisfied, you know, to be the secretary sitting there typing. I was pretty good at that. My fingers are very nimble and flexible. And it never dawned on me that I could be anything else because I knew I wasn't as good as. And that's the disease talking. And, you know, anyone who had any kind of authority, I mean, I looked up to them as if they were gods. I resented them. I hated, hated them. And respecter of um, any status or anything, I also hated fat people. Now, I wasn't as fat as you over there because she weighed 300 pounds, and maybe at the time I weighed only 200 or 180 because I was the yo-yo type of person. And uh, I probably lived on that hatred. And today, you know, I can put up with situations in places where I never thought it was possible. Two weeks ago, I got back from a trip, and I told some of you, the Ch I was trying to enter Tibet, and the Chinese threatened to put me in the hospital because they, you know, accused me of having a swine flu. Some of you might, might have seen me this morning. I was crying, and my nose was running. Thank God I didn't do that. I probably would have ended up there. But I made the best out of it, and I had people screaming on the right and the left, you know, from other countries, oh, my God, how can they do it to me? Now, first of all, I would have never been in a situation like that if it hadn't been for program. I would have been terrified because I had always these wonderful ideas that, you know, I was going to do this, and then I was afraid to do it. But then many times my ego would not allow me not to do it. And that's all the disease talking because, you know, when I left the country for the first time, I was only 19 years old, almost maybe 18, 19. And I was so terrified to leave because I was, you know, breaking up all the relationships with parents, everybody else, and I was on my way. And at the last minute, I would have said, you know, I really don't want to go, Mom. I want to stay home. I'm afraid. But as a good compulsive overeater, you know, you're tough. I mean, at least you show it on the outside, and I couldn't say that. So off I went and had all these adventures. And most of them, you know, were not all that pleasant, but I got through it. But with program, you know, all these things somehow have disappeared because I'm not, I don't have to be afraid. And as I said, my husband had a good program, and I was always um, terrified of having to participate in program because, you know, I had to do this thing perfectly, too. After I finally got the message, or I didn't get the message because it took me a long time to work the steps, 
especially the second half of the first. That's the most important important part for me because my was my life was not unmanageable. I managed you perfectly, thank you. So I thought I managed my own life, but I was trying to run the show. An interesting thing that a friend of my husband's called me after he passed away and he had many years in his program and he said, Did Hana does Hana always like to run the show? And my husband said, Yes, and I let her think she does. Because I was operating this way as if, you know, the whole universe, as long as I could run the show, as long as I could, and I didn't know it, as long as I could tell you what to do and you would do it, you know, I was perfectly fine. And letting go and letting God and admitting that I have a disease. I came to program and I worked this gray sheet perfectly. I mean, I underweight and undermeasured, and of course you lose weight. But why do they read the dumb steps and traditions all the time? I couldn't figure that one out because I'm not that dumb, I think. And today I'm grateful we do that because I'm the person who always forgets and I need to be reminded. I need to be reminded I have a disease, especially when people say, oh, you can have a little of this. You know, you never had a weight problem in your life. And then when that happened at first, you know, I thought, well, maybe they're right. But today I know that I have a disease. And that was the hardest part for me to accept, that I have a disease. All I am is fat. So I'm different from other people, but as, as soon as I look the same as you, you know, I'm perfectly all right. So that's why I say it took me about five years of my apprenticeship to work this program. And uh, I have a lot of friends today. Like every time I see Lonnie, and we don't see each other that much, you know, we're good friends. And I love conventions. I'm kind of addicted to conventions, so I go out of my way to go them, to them, whether it's World Service. And I've attended uh, OA meetings in different parts of the world, and I love it. And those people are different, and sometimes I can't even understand them. So I talk with my, hand and my hands and my feet, and I think it's wonderful. You know, and, and today I feel comfortable with people. I feel comfortable all the time. But I was told that at first, I remember when I tried to give my first talk in OA when I was asked, and it was a ways from where I lived, and I lived in the Pasadena area. That's why I started my program. I was asked to give a talk in Monterey. So, of course, it had to be perfect. So I always say, and I practice, and I practice. That's why I always say I gave my best talk between 12 and midnight because I was up all night practicing. And you know what? I was told you don't have to prepare for anything. You don't have to do anything. Go up to the podium, say the serenity prayer, and say, okay, God, here we go. And this, okay, God, here we go. You got me now. I had to really put that into practice when, because I started to travel. And I don't know about you, but airplanes and I didn't get along too well. I was terrified. You know, this feeling, now they got me. And then I developed my own little uh, secret that I used after I was in program. I would walk through the door, and I would knock three times on the outside of the plane and say to God, okay, God, here we go. You got me now. Take care of me. And, you know, it's kind of a little routine that I have when I take off. And today I feel very comfortable. Because, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Life is so precious, and I don't want to waste any moment anymore. I don't want to waste any moment hating people, whether they're the same color, different colors, as long as, you know, people are people. And some people in the, on the outside world, they don't always treat me the way I like to be treated. But you know what? Today, two wrongs still make it right. And I used to fight back. I mean, if you were different, if you were either a different nationality or if you didn't do what I thought you should do, immediately I would get at you. And I remember one time I had to go, and this was still in Europe, to a government agency, and it had something to do with insurance or whatever. I don't know because they have socialized medicine and all that stuff over there. But anyway, I didn't like how they treated me. 
And I remember being up there on that counter going like this. And the woman called me finally and she said, you know, could you stop that? And I thought, how dare she tell me, you know, and I kept going like this and she finally told me off. Now that is very rude. And I never thought I was rude. I mean, I was a nice person, quote unquote. And I have done things before program, treated people, and you know, we talk about no respect of status. I treated the people that I was able to treat that way a lot worse. And I was nice to the people who were above me. I don't know if any, anybody can identify with that. If I thought I could get something out of you, I tried to be very nice. But if you, I couldn't get anything out of you, I didn't have to be nice to you. And today, Lonnie was saying, you know, being nice to people, just a smile. And uh, I have been on the board for quite a few years, and my term is up, actually, in October. And I'm sure there's something else that comes along, because service has taught me so much in this program, how to get along with people and how to deal with people. But the one thing that I was always told by someone who had a very good program, program is the most important thing in my life, but it's not my life. It teaches me how to live out there because I'm out there a lot more than I'm in here. And out there I have to put everything to work that I learn in this program, all the steps. You know, if you say something that I don't like, I don't have to fight back. My, my philosophy today is kill them with kindness. It's gotten me a lot further than... You know, because I've made a lot of enemies in my life, and looking back in my history before OA, and it's been, you know, a while, and I'm getting on in years, so sometimes I have to try and remember what it was like, but my life was, was very unhappy. I remember driving down the freeway, and in those days my husband was still drinking, and I thought, oh my God, I probably have about 40 years left to live, and I don't know if I can take that, so why not hit the post driving past the freeway? And you know, today I'm driving on the freeway sometimes and I keep thinking, oh my God, I'm almost 70 years old. Gee, I hope I have a few more years. Attitude. Attitude. And the people in this program have helped me so much with that because I've been able to make friends with people that I was afraid of. You know, like I was always afraid of people, whether they were a different color, from a different nation. I was afraid of people because I felt uncomfortable. I wasn't familiar with them. And that's what's so wonderful in this program. It taught me that everybody is alike. And we have this wonderful thing in our program. We're trying to strive to the same, you know, towards the same goal, which means, you know, being serene, abstaining, and having a good life, and trying to help other people in this program. That wasn't me. I mean, it was just me, 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 I, I, I. And today, I can do that. Like Lonnie said, you know, like smiling at people, trying to help people. When I came back from this last trip, we had a guy who got very sick over in Tibet, sometimes at the altitude, you know, swollen hands and all that. And he was like a zombie. So I felt nobody else was left. He and I were the last ones on the last leg on the trip. And I thought, okay, somebody has to make sure he gets home. So I made the arrangements with the air personnel. I asked them if they could get him a wheelchair, get him off, get him to the next station, get him through customs, get him through passport control. And finally, when he went his way and I went mine, I said, be sure to get him to United Airlines because that's the last stop and hopefully somebody picks him up. I would have never, ever done that. I would have never done that. That's so much. I was kidding. I say it's against my religion, which, of course, you know, it isn't. But I couldn't. I would not do anything for anybody else. I was a selfish person. And, you know, talking about status, race, or anything else, God, that gave me a good reason to dislike you. But I looked for all the differences and not the similarities. And this program has really taught me that, that those things don't matter any to, anymore to me. 
but I can very much identify with it because I went through times, you know, that weren't too swift when I grew up after the war and grew up, I was a child, after a war in Europe. And so, of course, that was different from you. I had a harder life and, you know, it was so terrible, all the things that happened. And you know what I learned in program? Grow up, have a life, get a life, and stay there. I can live in the past or I can live in today. And I never knew that. I lived in the future and I had all these wonderful things that what I was going to be. But I thought about it and I dreamt about it. But I never did any action. I sat there being the secretary, typing my little words into my typewriter because in those days we didn't have computers. But today and also looking back, oh my God, if I had done that or if I hadn't done that, things would have been so different. I missed my chance. All I have is today. And today, you know, I can be the best person that I can be. I can put the steps to work, and I can work on the traditions, and I haven't checked the timer, but, and I'm rattling on here. And I'm grateful that I was asked to speak, and uh, the speaker who had been scheduled for this session canceled out at the last minute, and I found out I was going to be partnering with Lonnie, you know, good old times, like, you know, we work together and we just love each other. And probably, if it hadn't been in this program, we probably would have never talked to each other if she had not been in program and if I had not been in program because you don't associate with other people. And I love today. I love people. I love to go to other countries and meet people. And, you know, I've never had a problem no matter where I went in the world because people are people as long as I treat them kind. I didn't know that. I demanded. You know, I demanded. And, of course, people are angry and, and they try not to do what you ask them to do or what you demand them to do. And life has gotten so much easier. But I have to go back to the steps all the time. Of course, the first half of the first step, which is so important. Powerless over food. God, I had so much power. I went on so many diets. You know, I could do all that. But then when you got to what I called go weight or wherever I figured I went, what else was there? There was nothing. And, you know, my life is uh, unmanageable. Powerless over food, but my life is unmanageable. That part was so hard for me because I managed so well, I thought. And I didn't. And I had to learn that my, my I'm powerless over everything. If you want to wear a red blouse today, I can't tell you it's not the right thing. I used to tell my husband what socks to wear. Now, if you live with a practicing alcoholic, it's very easy. If they're between binges or so, they do exactly what you want them to do. But then, of course, they're often running. And my husband actually had to say after, you know, he kind of came to in his program, and I didn't have one for six more years, you know, I'm big enough, I can decide what socks to wear. I just wanted to run the whole world, and I'm very grateful that I didn't get into a position where I actually had a chance to run things. I don't know where our country would be today, I tell you. So thank God for little favors. And turning things over to my higher power, to God as I understand him, that was very, very difficult, you know, if you're like me, powerful, running the show and all that, and letting go and letting God. Because I was uh, sentenced to another program after my husband got to his. I was afraid he might leave me. So they kind of sentenced me to Al-Anon. They dragged me there. And I didn't do too well. I sat there eating cookies and I was taking his inventory. Now, that's not the idea of the program. But thank God there was somebody there who went to OA who asked me, have you tried OA? Oh, I tried that. And then she questioned me. I went to that meeting I told her about, and she said, haven't you heard anything when you went to meetings with your husband? Go to a lot of meetings before you make up your mind. Duh. He I thought I was so smart. And you know, the one thing that I've done right in all these years, I've kept coming back, just like Lonnie. And when things get tough sometimes, you know, when I lost my husband due to cancer, things got very tough. 
But I knew enough people. You see, if I'd been out there by myself, I would have been a 300-pound couch potato. And even though I kind of tried to isolate a little bit, and this happened 12 years ago, I had friends in the program, friends, wow, friends like Lonnie, friends like, you know, some of the people here, Mickey, Jane, and they kind of called me and pulled me out of myself. You know, how about going to a meeting? How about going out to lunch? Well, of course, out to lunch, right? But, um, and that helped me in my program, and that's what's so important, having all these friends in program, opening up telling you about me because as long as you didn't know anything about me you couldn't hold it against me because as long as I knew something about you I stored it I filed it and then the next chance I had you got it and so they pulled me out of this and that's how I got into service and I'm one of those people I always say I've never volunteered for anything but I've been drafted a lot I got to do the convention in Palm Springs and that was so wonderful. I had no idea what I was doing. That was the first time I gave service above group level. And David from L.A. or from San Fernando Valley, he knew me quite well. I knew his wife before they got married. And uh, so he, you know, twisted my arm and twisted my arm. So I finally, they got me when I came back from, from a long trip. And I still blame it on jet lag. And I said, hell yes, and I'm not one to swear. And I, you know, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And people, and as I said, I didn't know anything, anything about it, what to do, how to do it. And people like Lonnie and Ida and some of those people, I mean, they worked like the Dickens. And that's why any time I'm asked to do something, I try not to say no, unless I'm out of the country. Of course, I can't do it. And so, as you know, for a moment I hesitated when, when Violet asked me, and I said, how do I talk about no respect of status, race, or anything else? Well, the disease is not. It comes in all colors. It comes all races. And I think I'm doubly blessed because uh, my race, uh, my family, bringing it down to my family, everybody was overweight and died because of this disease, various reasons. I am the oldest one uh, in my family. Now, the men, I don't know what history they would have had because they either got killed during the First World War or Second World War, so I only have females around me. But everybody died because of this disease. And, you know, I'm almost 70, and I have a good chance. I outlived everybody, and I'm going around the world, and I'm having a blast. And, you know, I credit it all to this program and the people I've met in here and uh, all the things I've learned in here. And it all boils down to it, really, that I love everybody today. You may not love me back, and it's very hard to be lovable when you first come to this program. But... It's no respect of any race or status or anything, but in this program we learn to overcome the initial resentments that we have against everybody, and we become friends, and we work the program, and then, you know, we respect everybody, and we say, to heck with that, we can make the world better. And uh, my husband always said, if everybody in the world would have a program, the world would be a better place, and it really would be. But again, I have no control over it. And believe me, I've been in situations, uh, you know, this last month where people really have no control over everything, anything, and the government controls it. I am so grateful because our program would probably not even be allowed in some of those countries. And, you know, we can do anything we want to with this program, with the 12 steps, and by loving each other and having friends like you and Lonnie. And uh, it's been wonderful to be here, and I love the convention. The only problem I have is I usually get going at, you know, 7 in the morning, and I run until 11 o'clock at night. But I don't have to go to the gym. Look at the bright side. And I enjoy, ev 
I enjoy every minute of it, you know, and it's all due to this program. I am grateful, and I love everybody, no matter what color, no matter where they came from. And I even love people who still have to lose a lot of weight. And I always was better than them if I weighed 100 pounds less, right? I am not. I can be there in no time at all. I've proved it over and over and over again. But if I do my program one day at a time and, you know, have friends like you, where can I go wrong? So thank you very much for letting me participate. Thank you. Oh, the joy of this program is just so good. Okay, we're now going to have, you know, I think Violet came in with the Ask It Basket. I can't see. There it is. Mmm. The Ask It Basket. And if we don't have time to, to fill out questions, or if there are some questions, fill them out. May I see that, please? There are not enough. Okay, the speakers will be given a okay. Should there not be enough questions in the Ask It Basket, the speakers can be given a second chance to say what they meant or what they left out. And so let's do that. I guess we do the ask a basket thing. Okay. Um, you want to take one, Mama? Yeah. I can blank. Oh, oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> is, it, is it one or two? Oh, no, that's one. I think it's really one. Okay. Um, okay, so it doesn't look like we have, we, we maybe had time to, to pass that around enough. Oh, there's more, please. So I was going to say if we have questions, yes, please. Okay, uh, first of all, the first time I went, it was kind of difficult for me to get back into the routine. Today, I can't wait to get back to meetings. For one thing, to brag that I, you know, rode an elephant or a camel or something like that. No, that's not really so. But it's almost like exercise. I know every time I come back, I have a treadmill right next to my bed. I open my eyes and I get on that thing because today I like to stay physically fit. And when I come back from a trip, I have to force myself. Okay, you get on that treadmill. I don't want to, but I get on that treadmill. And that's how it was when I first, you know, had to leave. And I'm usually gone for extended period of time, periods of time, sometimes four, sometimes six weeks. But what I've done, too, is I've talked to people like in Cape Town, South Africa. I've talked to someone in Nairobi, uh, Kenya. I always get information off the World Service Internet, any kind of contact. And one time I was in a country and I called and I called and I called, but I didn't get anybody because either they were not in program, numbers were disconnected, but I make an effort and it reminds me that I am in program and, you know, so I kind of gear myself. And all my friends and some of the people I sponsor, they know I'm gone and they know when I'm coming back. And so if I'm not calling them within the next couple of days or so and say, hey, I'm back, how have you been doing, I usually get a call. So I have my security system kind of built in, and that's how I try to handle it. Did it answer your question? Okay. Okay. Other questions? Yes. Um, uh, I know that this disease is a man's disease, too, but I feel separated from the few men I meet through this program. How can I overcome this gender barrier, or should I? Wow. I'm not exactly sure how to respond to that. 
um, other than to um, just, and I'm assuming that when you ask your question, you work with a sponsor, you have a sponsor? Okay, that you bring this question to your sponsor and that within the 12 steps, you're not, you know, you're powerless over a lot of things, but you are not helpless. This is one of the things I've learned in this program, though I may be powerless, I'm not helpless. So um, that takes you immediate, takes me immediately out of the victimization of it and with the guidance of your sponsor and others, because sometimes the sponsor doesn't have experience that you need, but they can guide you to somebody who does have experience that you need and that can just help you work beyond um, where you are right now. Often service is a wonderful thing. Hannah spoke about that service is incredible because it lets you reach beyond just maybe a female barrier and to step and to deal with with men uh, on a different level I, I'm really not sure but I would just suggest that you continue to work your program because the answers are within the 12 steps of the program and the tools are there to help us work the 12 steps of the program to discover what is it in us it's not here what is it in, in here what is it in us that is keeping me from crossing a boundary and being able to deal a little bit better, to be able to try something, to go to another country that you've never been before, um, to travel by yourself or, or to do something different. The answers are, the recovery is all right there in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the book of Overeaters Anonymous within the 12 steps. And so with guidance and direction and, and working those steps, you, you really will overcome that. I, I don't have a better answer than that for you. Okay. Any other questions? Because um, I, I think. Oh, oh, we still have. Yeah. Can I comment? Yes. Oh, please, Hans. Do. I was just wondering if I can tell you my experience on that. Um, bef uh, before program, I kind of liked men because I thought it was easier to fool them than women. So I had absolutely no friends when I came to this program, but I talked more to men because, you know, it's easier to fool the opposite sex. Now, when I came to program, I, you know, kind of stayed away from men a little bit because maybe because I, my feelings finally came to the surface and I was a little bit afraid of them because I was not the person I used to be anymore because I found out who I was. So I kind of slowly learned that I can have men friends but only friends, and I actually learned that with my husband. I draw the line when it comes to sponsoring now. I have never, I have sponsored one man in all the years that I've been in program, and only because my husband sponsored him in AA. And my husband and I, and this guy's wife, and, and he, uh, we all, you know, went out together and met and all that, so he would always talk to my husband first when he called. But uh, today, I have a lot of men friends, but just friends. If I know that somebody makes some kind of a move, and at my age they don't anymore, but, um, you know, my friend has said to me, I can tell the little wall goes up, like, don't get too close. But today I'm very open, and I have a male friend who was my husband's friend that I've known for 40 years, a dear friend of mine. He's married, but we're really good friends. And even if I meet him sometime without his wife, I feel very comfortable. But I always ask him if his wife would join us, you know, when we have breakfast sometimes because we talk about different things outside of program too. And that's really how I handle it. I feel comfortable with myself today. 
because before program, as I said, I thought I could talk to them, but only about superficial things, because I felt I could fool them, because they couldn't see my read right through me like you do. But today, I can talk to men up to a certain level, because certain things I only discuss with my sponsor, my, my female friends. And if the subject gets too close to home, I just say, well, maybe, you know, I better talk to my sponsor or talk to that person. Most of the time, they have a sponsor, too. Maybe talk to your sponsor. And that's how I handled it. But I feel comfortable with myself today. And, and, and if I may, I would just like one comment on that. Very early on for me, um, I've always gotten along very well with men and women. Um, I, I interact well with both on almost any level. And I enjoy men. And I made a comment one time and I said, you know, I, I, I like guys. I enjoy men. I enjoy being around them. And someone looked at me and said, you enjoy them, you like them, but you don't respect them. And it was a slap in the face because it was the truth. I didn't. It has to do with my, uh, with, with just who I am and how I got to be who I was, but I really didn't. And I have worked my program and my attitude today is a lot different. I still like, I, I, I like people. Guys are people, women are people, but the, my respect is it's a whole different level. And it has to do with me cleaning my house, my side of the street, and my attitude changing. The guys are still the guys. I work with tons of guys. I, I'm fine with that. But I had to change in that. I don't know if, if any of them ever knew or cared or, or, or took any time to even know me well enough. But that statement rang, it resonated with me. Because as much as I liked them, I didn't respect them. And so I had to learn to change that. But thank, thank you. Uh, any other questions? I see the hand almost going up. Go, Eileen. Hi, my name is Reader. Hey, Eileen. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I hear the thing about the kindness and no respect for other people. This sounds like a target-rich environment for a little inventory. My sponsor would say, hmm, I think there's an inventory in there. We're talking the four or five columnar inventory, Bonnie. And by the way, it's not a Christmas gift. If today is the 27th, I'll expect that inventory to be done by, so we put a time, we put a boundary on it in a time frame. Um, this is into the territory of do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? You can always be right. And my nature is I'm right. And I want public justice. So I want you and everybody else to know and acknowledge that I am right. This is right territory for an, uh, uh, feel for an inventory. Yes. And it, it, writing is good, but inventory. Inventory is cleansing. Okay. Um, go ahead, Hannah, if you want to comment on that. Somebody who had a lot of years in another program once said something, and it really stuck with me, and I think it's great. If I really disagree with you, you say it's black, and I, I, I say it's white, and this man always said as an answer, you have a point there. That means that I don't agree, I don't disagree, 
What can you say? I've tried it a few times. It really works. Speaking about sisters, a friend of mine and I, we have sisters. Everybody has one. And most of them are quite, uh, maybe a few years younger, a few years older, which it is in my case. And I noticed that after I was in program that my sister had resentments towards me. And it took me a long time before I had the guts to ask, you know, we have this relationship and there's always something. And I found out that even though I was told as a child, you're not going to amount to anything, they even told me some well-meaning aunts, you come home pregnant at 17, and uh, fortunately none of those things happened. But um, when my sister grew up and I was already out of the country, they said to her, now, if you were only like your sister, because she was, you know, very smart and she would always learn. So that caused this hatred. And we would have never found out, except after I was in program for several years, I asked her, you know, why do we have this friction among us? And I used to go over and visit her and we'd stay. And we talked about it and she told me this. So it was all out in the open. And you know what? We laughed about it. But if I can't get anywhere and you insist it's black and I insist it's white, I just say, well, you've got a point there. Try it. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. Well, now's your time. Okay. Uh, it says we will now have open sharing, and we have time for three shares. If you have already shared in another workshop, please give others a chance before you come forward. Limit your share to three minutes, stay on the topic, and sign the tape release after you share. And we have tape releases here. Okay, so it is, it is your time. Well, I'm Jane, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Jane. And I, I really do relate to that, that feeling of being somehow different and unacceptable at the same time. As a, you know, I'm sure it had a lot to do with growing up as you know a fat kid. Um, you know, just created a barrier, at least in my mind, feeling teased and judged. And I was also a person that was measured very often and never measured up, you know, I, my, I was always, you know, too big and or, or too short or too something. And um, so I, I really internalized that sense of different in a negative way. And I think that's probably been the big challenge that I still struggle with at times, that sense of just not measuring up and having to, to recognize that that's, you know, that, that's just a, an old tape. Um, you know, I buy into it. I believe it sometimes, uh, but I, I do have at least that recognition that it's uh, it, that it, you know it, 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 there are there are no measurements. I mean, there you know what's too much of this or that. They're, I mean, they're all uh, you know it's all in my head, and if it, I make it a difference, if I make it you know if I if I believe I'm less, then that's just that's just happening in, in here. And um, so, you know, I, I really believe that this is a, you know, there's progress, not perfection, and that, you know, this may be something I always have to kind of struggle with and recognize as an issue I bring to the table in my relationships. But um, it's really, it's good to hear that other people share this. <laughs> I'm not alone in it, and I'm 
grateful to, to be able to share at this meeting. Thank you. My name is Gail, and I'm a compulsive overeater. I just wanted to make a couple comments uh, where the uh, the uh, speakers rang bells with me. Thank you both. Uh, one was that uh, just recently I spent uh, some time with one of my sisters, and uh, one evening we probably were both tired, you know, neither of us, uh, you know. So then uh, during the night and the next morning then I... Uh, started the day right out by saying, you know, I don't know what was going on last night, but I apologize for my part in it or whatever. And she spoke up right away and said, and kind of laughed about it and said, yeah, where did that come from? And I was just uh, so grateful that program had uh, given me the tool in the sense that the right thing to do is to take the initiative, not decide, you know, am I the one or did she do more or try to evaluate it. And uh, it just really went very smoothly, and I think we both were probably very happy that, you know, there it was, and where it came from, we don't know, but we don't need to know. And we just moved on, and at least from my point of view, uh, nothing like that came up again. Or, I mean, there may have been tension, but we weren't kind of uh, at each other like we had been. And uh, the other thing that I wanted to comment on is uh, this whole business of, you know, not being more than or not being less than and how we find ourselves in that place. And, you know, um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's just, it comes up. It's just life. And, and But on the other hand, I think also through the program, then I've learned that when I start down that comparison track, that that just doesn't work. It's not always competing. It's just trying to find out where I belong in life by doing comparison. And I don't, I don't need to use, that's not one of the tools of this program. And uh, so uh, I just wanted to throw that particular word in because it, that's what, you know, I mean, that word comes out of this business. But the experience of, of comparing is, uh, is not a path that I want to follow and I'm glad that I'm constantly reminded of that through this program. Thank you. Um, thank you very much, Lonnie, Hannah. Um, I have traveled. I'm Ellie, compulsive overeater. I've traveled, um, I've been in program two and a half years, and when I have gone to New York or to Las Vegas or even to Santa Rosa, I've gone and I've checked out where there are OA meetings. And when I go to the OA meetings, no matter where it is that I go, I feel that I'm home. I feel that I'm welcome there. And once again, it has nothing to do with race, religion, um, status, or anything else. Because as Lonnie had mentioned, it's when we're in the rooms, 
It is what unites us. Our weakness of being compulsive overeaters unites me with my fellow compulsive overeaters. And I've had the opportunity to see that we think alike, not just about the food, but about how we have felt about ourselves, how we have beaten ourselves up, thought we were less than, thought we were no good at. And um, that's, to me, where we're all the same, that we're willing to admit those things and share an openness and an honesty with each other, and that is where I feel the I, I have the opportunity to recover, is with you and in OA meetings and with the tools and with the big book and with my sponsor. That And I love at the end of the meetings when we all join hands because there again is the unity for me and the sameness and thank you for letting me share I'm BB. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi, Bibi. Hi, um, Something that you said also, both of you, I would like to just comment on. Uh, number one, um, something that my feeling different when I was a kid, I was able to transform that somewhere along the way in some other group, and certainly I revisited it in my first 12 steps, which was with an Al-Anon group when my son was struggling with a drug addiction. That was in 2008. But the one thing I've always felt is um, that I'm okay with me and that maybe the things that I thought were my defects were actually not defects, but just being being different was just something I had to become aware of because what I did feel was al- already a unity and a one with everyone on the planet. So I started, I don't know whether it was a defense mechanism, but I decided I'm not better than anyone, but I'm not worse than anyone. And I feel the same way about everyone I meet there, but for the grace of God go I. So I came into my first program with that on board. And I I guess I have the unique ability to, in that sense, be accepting myself and throwing competition out. I've always tried to just, you know, try to perfect myself, which can be a problem in itself, that whole perfection idea. But because of that, I create safe spaces for people to be around when they're with me, and they do feel okay, that that safe space is there. So there is, I I can get that connection that I already feel with people. And I think that's one of the places that I was filling up with food, was that that not being able to be connected. And it's such a beautiful, wonderful strength. But I had a situation where, with my sister, recently, I was talking about something that I was doing in program, and she pretty much leveled me with something, and I was like, whoa. But because of my work, like I said, and my feelings, I never 
I try not to blurt or pounce in that moment. I just was like taking it in. She said, you know, I think it's getting better, but she says, you're the kind of person who wants everybody in the room, especially the men, to all know you're there and love you. And you won't go out, you won't even step outside the house without, you know, putting your makeup on and, you know, putting this facade or whatever. And I, and, and, and it sounded like she was trying to tell me I was making her feel less by this. And I said, I just want you to know if, if that was what came across, that was not my purpose and it wasn't my objective. I said, it was probably all about my feelings about me because basically that's what we're all doing, you know. I said, and I'm sorry if I spent too much of my time um, on me. You know, maybe I should have been a little bit more open than thinking about how that affects other people. And I think that's what I'm trying to work on because that's one of the things I got from this program. People don't do things to you. All those things out there that upset you about somebody else, it's really not about anything but your own experience and how that has made you come to that. And so those people aren't doing anything at you. They're doing it for them. And generally we do the same thing. And so I finally adopted this idea. We're all crazy. We're all nuts. Okay? And some people's crazy I can interface with better than other people's. So when I'm feeling some kind of an irritation with somebody, if they have to be in my space right now and I can't handle it, I'm going to pray on it. I'm going to take it to my sponsor. I'm going to use my tools to be around that person that I have to be around. But if I don't, maybe I'll just say, maybe this isn't so important right now. This isn't one of my battles I'm going to pick. I'm just going to step aside, you know, and maybe it'll come back to me, you know, in my meditation of maybe what it is. But if I can just stay away from that for a minute, I'll probably do that because I have other battles to fight at the moment. Um, and it's just about, you know, we're all together in this. None of us are going to get out of it alive, really, <laughs> in the end. And, and, and um, some people's crazy we can, uh, we, can, we can interface with. Like the homeless guy on the street, there but for the grace of God go I. He's not better than me and he's not worse than me. Sometimes I might want to avoid him because I fear him. I don't really get him, maybe. And so I might just, you know, walk past and try not to do anything in my mannerisms that might hurt him as I walk past. But the people that you have to deal with like sisters in your life, you know, it, it, may, take, it may take a little bit of work to figure out what it is. And a lot of times it's that you see some of your own weakness, you know, in that person. So thank you for letting me share. And I'm ready to go, right? It is now time to close this workshop. Oh, yes, you did. There they are. Okay. It is now time to close this workshop. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference by when that might be done. Thank you so much for attending. Thank you, Oh, my goodness. So good. Yeah. I know. Me too. And I know I did yesterday, but that's what we were going to do. Yeah. Do you take this to... Um, I think... We yeah I'll take it to okay this is for the next it probably go to Violet yeah. and um, we have to clear out the next